Hey folks, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Nate. This is Ryan. And this is Shannon. And thanks for joining us again as we talk more conversations of sex and body. And one of the favorite things that I enjoy is that um, Ryan tends to send this to us. When we get fan mail from listeners, and we have we had a really good one come in this morning. Um, Ryan, I really love this one. This is, yeah, I'm, I, I thought this was, this is the peak of my day when I get things like this. Yeah, this is, a, this is um, we get lots of thank yous over email, but this is probably one of the most heartfelt, confessional uh, letters that we've gotten that, that really, you know, I think touched all of us. Yeah, a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers. And sometimes when, when um, a letter like this comes out, there are some things that we could never share from behind these microphones that can only be mentioned by, by folks like you. And so... Uh, we hope by, by by sharing some of this that it resonates with you guys and more is taught to all of us together collectively. Yeah, so I feel so honored to have the opportunity to read this with our our audience because, um, yeah, she, you're right, Nate. She just really divulged. She dug down deep. But we obviously are changing her name to protect her identity and we've changed certain details. Um and we're committed to doing that. So we encourage you, please send in your feedback, send in your stories, and we will protect your identity. We're just going to call this gal Diana. But she says, I have to say to each of you for your work on Touch Podcast, thank you. I appreciate each of your perspectives. And every week I am challenged and refreshed as I think about your conversations. I was introduced to the podcast last year by my friend from high school. We were raised in the 90s in the Midwest in the middle of the purity movement. Our lives over the past 20 years have taught us that we were done a disservice by well-meaning youth group leaders and churches, as well as by Joshua Harris with I Kiss Dating Goodbye. My friend is 40 and has never been married or had sex. I was raped by a guy that I dated in college when I was 20 and believed absolutely that I had to marry him because sex before marriage had ruined me even though I was really just a victim. I believed I would never be accepted by a good Christian man for having had sex before marriage. Therefore, I had to marry this guy. And I believed that I couldn't tell anyone. It was a secret I carried for nearly 15 years. I believed that it was my responsibility as a woman and as a Christian to be asexual, to be responsible not just for my own chastity, but also that of every man around me, that there would be some magic switch that flipped when I got married And so from that void of any positive messages about sex, I married the man who raped me. And for 10 long and painful years of marriage, I tried to please him in every way. It should come as no surprise to you that he began having extramarital affairs and we divorced because of his adultery. But honestly, I believe that we never should have married because of the toxicity of the relationship. And while I know that divorce is hard on families, it was the best decision of my life. My ex-husband is a seminary graduate and ordained pastor, and so the church has always had a huge place in my life. I love the Lord, and I want to honor him with my life and decisions, but this has been a tough topic for me, and I've never heard the church talking about it other than the abstinence-only perspective, and that does leave such a void, and that void can be so painful and shameful, so thank you, thank you, thank you to each of you for giving a voice to my story, for giving me a perspective that I hadn't even considered before. I truly appreciate the space you've created in which I can wrestle with these topics and see how I wish that they had been dealt with in my own youth and how I want to teach my preteen kids differently now. 
I really can't thank you enough. Praise God for his call on your hearts and your willingness to answer that call. It brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it, guys? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It really does. Whew. Yeah. But what a great what a great lead in to the interview that you have just recently done, Ryan, with Leanne. Yeah. yeah I mean, I, first, um, Diane, thank you for writing in and being so transparent and, you know, bearing your soul and life in that email. I mean, um, those are, we will continue to touch on several of the, the topics, um, in that, in that email. And I just, just want to say, first of all, I guess that I'm so sorry that that, that has happened to you and then really res- respect and admire your strength and courage and your ability to make a really difficult decision, but clearly the right decision in, in, in my opinion. And, um, the right thing for you and your and your children. So to leave that toxic relationship and and gosh, yeah, deeply regret that this church culture that is so pervasive that would even allow any of us to think that that you couldn't. Oh gosh, where do you even start? Where you that you can't that you couldn't speak up? That women can't speak up? That women feel like they have to just accept anything that happens to them by a man and then. Oh gosh, it's just, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I think that that's, that's the result of what silence does is we leave so much open to interpretation by these innocent, naive children and they get themselves into situations that they don't know how to get themselves out of. And bless her heart, she was just trying to make things right, but two wrongs never make a right. Yeah, and obviously she did this the best she could at the time, but... sure. And and if 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 you guys don't mind, I think maybe what could be kind of cool is if we give uh, listeners a chance to respond to her e- her ma- email as well. So if if you've connected personally to what Diane wrote, um, feel free that you know if you'd like to write her uh, a thank you, that would be something that we'd be happy to help connect because these stories that you guys carry as listeners, these stories that you guys tell each other. Um, that's where the work is happening. We are three people sharing from our unique perspectives, but we wanted the three of us to get together to to acknowledge that it's not just one, it's a collective. And uh, Deanne said some things that neither of us could ever make resonate in our best days. And um, and Dan, you have reached people today just with your honesty. So so thank you so much for that. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Nate. That, I think... She really covers like thinking about last season and this season, the issues of consent of body and, you know, really soul shaming the sort of male dominance of women's bodies that allows for rape culture, you know, Christian divorce, um, the, the friend that she has, which, and I have several friends like this who are in their forties and have never been married, are still virgins. And, I mean, these are all, these are big, important topics, particularly in Christian circles. Yeah, we're going to keep circling around to these. And our upcoming guest is Leanne Gardner. She's faculty with the Diana Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University and a therapist in the Charleston, South Carolina area. And what we're getting ready to talk about in this interview is what Leanne does as wraparound sex education that illustrates perfectly all of the things that happens um, 
and folks' lives, just like in this interview. And so let's listen to that, um, and we'll get back together in just a second and talk about it. This is Ryan. Let me jump in right here and say that I somehow deleted my microphone's audio on this outstanding interview, and all I have is the backup from my computer mic. So my voice sounds like my grandmother's, but please don't hold that against our guest who will rock your world if you have kids or work with them in this really terrific interview. All right, welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan, and today I'm speaking with Leanne Gardner. She is full-time on the faculty at the Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University, and she has a private practice in counseling in Charleston, South Carolina. And one of the things she does is that she helps families with wraparound sex education. Leanne, thank you so much for being on Touch Podcast. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so the first thing I want to ask is, what in the world is wraparound sex education? Great question. And I actually sort of market my materials and program as wraparound sexuality education. And it's the first thing I have to explain to caregivers because they have never heard of that. And really it is thinking about talking to your kids about more than just intercourse. When we think about sex ed, we immediately think about intercourse. And what kids are telling us through the research, which I'll talk about in a minute, is they want way more information than just conversation on intercourse. So that would include their bodies, talking about their bodies, talking, using proper body part terms as soon as they come out of the womb, being able to openly discuss how touching parts of your body feels good, um, talking about puberty, understanding that every kid deserves the information about puberty before they go through it so that it feels like a normal process of human development instead of a process that is isolating and lonely and shameful, which so many of our teens um, tell us. It also includes uh, consent and not just don't have sex with somebody who doesn't want to. Really unpacking all the elements of consent and having ongoing conversations about the nuances of consent. It includes sexual orientation. It includes abuse prevention. It includes body empowerment, that you have a right as a child to have agency over your body. You don't have to hug people and kiss people that you don't want to hug or kiss. And as they're grown ups, being able to advocate for, for them that they do have body agency. It's about um, intimacy. So one of the things we're hearing from, from teens is, you guys, we get not to have sex uh, or don't get diseases or don't get pregnant, but nobody is telling us how to break up with somebody. Nobody's telling us what it feels like to be manipulated. How do I know if someone's trying to control me? Is that love or is that possession and power and control? And then the last thing that might seem kind of unrelated, but, it, but a story in the media has really helped me think about this in a, in a, a bigger way is bystander intervention that we teach kids it is not okay to watch someone else being harassed or being assaulted without stepping in and the story that most people have heard uh, that is centered around this is the Brock Turner story um, where two years ago two or so years ago he was uh, raping an unconscious woman beside a dumpster and two Swedish uh, graduate students rode by on their bikes, saw what was happening, noticed that she was not moving, got, got off their bikes, chased him, and tended to her. And they did not think about, is this my business? It was an impulse to go protect her. And 
when they were questioned by the police, one of the stories said they could not even speak because they were so moved. Um, they were so traumatized. And what is so interesting about that story is that the Swedes are among the best in the world to do wraparound sex ed. So it is highly likely that those boys on the bikes were told in kindergarten about, talked about consent and talked about uh, okay touch, not okay touch. And it was sort of in their DNA to intervene. So I think we have to think about wraparound comprehensive approaches to educating our kids as much more than intercourse. I mean, that would be, I guess that's sort of what we've done in the past is check this box. We've had the talk and now we're done. Um, and unfortunately it's not that easy and it shouldn't be. It should be an ongoing conversation, hundreds of conversations that, that go way beyond just intercourse. Yeah, thank you for describing that. In the U.S., where is wraparound sex education most prevalent? From what I've read, um, I know Boston, the Boston area has um, a very sort of progressive approach. Um, but I do know that the South, and in my state in particular, will not have it. <laughs> Just thinking about the, there's so much politics, you know, tied up in the absence education um, framework. And most of the parents I work with here in Charleston will say to me, it is clear that the school is not going to do this. That it will be at best supplemental, but I am driving the bus and the school. Literally, what I say to them is your kids should go to South Carolina schools and hear the uh, sex, whatever, you know, curriculum they produce. If it's a one-time thing, this, your kids should know how to teach it. I mean, your kids should be that knowledgeable because of what they learn from home because school is school is not going to give the values piece of what your family thinks about it about all these all these uh topics so we cannot rely on school at all who who do you get invited to speak to and do training with and how how does that come about this program this program was born to be presented in churches that that was my initial goal is that open-minded more progressive churches would have me come in and equip their caregivers. And one of the questions you asked me was like, how do you talk to teens about this? I don't, I talk to their caregivers because they are the ones in the intimate relationships that they're the ones who need to be teaching this. I just, I am just empowering them and giving them some tools to say, this is kind of what a six year old should know. This is kind of what a typically developing 10 year old should know. These are the things you really want to touch on. You want to talk about consent. Um, more than just don't have sex when somebody says no. So it started off in churches, but what I realized quickly is other people who were not involved in churches were very hungry for this information because it is very scary and intimidating if you have not done your own work, if you are a victim of sexual abuse or sexual assault, if you grew up in a family that shamed unintentionally or intentionally, this is going to be a parenting, um, an area of parenting that you, that many people struggle with. And they say like, I want to do it right. Help me do it. Um, tell me what to say. I get that a lot. Like, what's the script? I'm like, I don't know your kid. I don't know how you parent. You have to use your own parenting strength. Do this in a way that you know will reach your individual kids. So it has morphed out into just community groups, mops groups, neighborhood groups. Um, we now have a format where we come together, have some food, drink some wine, 
that helps a lot. Um, and then we uh, just have a conversation. And I, I always recommend that both parenting partners are present because a lot of time they, uh, females get delegated. Um, I think the stats are uh, females outnumber males six to one in any kind of class about how to talk to your kids about these issues. So I really want to get both parenting partners uh, involved because it's so important to kids if there are two parenting partners for them to hear from both of them. Yeah, so I hear you saying like states like South Carolina and there are a lot of them that do just some very simple, basic health education, anatomy, sort of sex ed, this is where your genitals are and this is sort of how they work. But you're talking mainly about helping parents have more important conversations. And as a parent, you know, I have an almost six-year-old and an almost 10-year-old. You know, I, I'm actually giving our, our daughter a, a book that's age appropriate that is a little bit more than anatomy. And she's talked to her mom about it. And I've offered, you know, hey, do you have any questions? What can we talk? Yeah, but I've, you know, I've, like, I'm very open and she knows she can come talk to me, but she is not interested in talking to me. <laughs> so, and we, you know, our, so our family is sort of an example there uh, where uh, mom has been, uh, all the uh, sex edge has been uh, pushed over onto mom. Well, and I also say to people, it's not just about the conversation, the, these really intense conversations where we're like sitting down, looking eyeball to eyeball, talking about genitals or talking about um, this is how a baby's made or whatever it may be. It's also how we approach these topics in our home in everyday conversations. So if a topic, say the Kavanaugh case comes up and it is all over the media for weeks and your child, your very curious 10 year old says, what did Brett Kavanaugh do? Uh -huh. Or what are people saying he did? And you say, your oldest is a girl. Did you say? Yeah. 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 So you say, honey, that's like grown up stuff. We don't, we're not talking about that right now. So there might be an age where it might not be appropriate. I'm not saying that you just like dump all the world's problems on a, on a five-year-old, but you, you think in your head, instead of shutting it down, what could I tell her Right. to begin, not just the conversation about Kavanaugh, but the overarching message of it is okay to talk about this in our house. Yeah. We, you, you have a brain. We, we can talk and you might not understand, but I'm going to say, here's the basic idea of what happened. What do you think? Uh -huh. And not jump into the, this is like basic child development too, I think, but not jump into this preachy thing we want to do. Like, let me, this is my teaching moment where I can dump all this wisdom into your brain, which is really well meaning because we want our kids to be healthy and, we have lots of anxieties about them growing up in this day and age, but to step back and say, what do you think about that? Which is really where the connection gets fueled. And that, that's what this is all about is connecting. Yeah. And I think that <clears throat> inviting an ongoing conversation where your kid can be thinking about stuff. And then when something pops in their head or if they've been worried about something, they can just be like, Hey, by the way, you know, with the, you know, the radio on the TV on, there's so much sexual content, um, not explicit, yeah, some of it's very explicit, but it's generally pathological, generally a conversation related to abuse, 
and it's constant on television and on the radio and on social media. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, you've hit on something that uh, uh, I think parents should be anticipating having conversations with younger children about. Do you have some other tips about how do we create an environment in our homes where, you know, our kids do feel free to, if there's something on their mind or they hear something at school, uh, they, they can come to us and ask us a question. One of the things I hear from parents, a general feeling among the caregivers I work with is I'm afraid to tell them too much. That in some way that will like spoil them or they'll lose their innocence. So when I tell parents that most experts say, well, I'm gonna let you guess. I'm gonna let you guess, Ryan. What age, <laughs> what age do you think most experts say kids should hear about intercourse from their caregivers? Gosh. Should hear about it from the caregiver. Yeah. Um, I, uh, they, they, I, this is, okay. I don't know what the experts say, but I, just from my own mind, I would say probably nine, nine years old, which is the age of my daughter. She should, she should have a basic understanding of generally speaking. Yeah. Not, not explicitly, but generally, yes. There's a penis that gets an erection. It matches up with this part on a woman and a baby can result from that. I think that's my final answer. That's your final answer. <laughs> so the answer is your son's age. Ah, it's, my, it's, it's six, six. Year old? six year old. It's oh my god, six year old. Okay, so my disclaimer is: I'm a I, terrible parent. No, you're not. You're not. You're not. So typically developing. I just want to say that first. Typically yeah. developing. Yeah. A kid, and and Ryan, I'm going to be honest. I read this after I got into this work and was shocked. And then went back and told my six-year-old. Like, I, I thought it would be eight, maybe. Yeah. But there are some really good reasons about that. One is, if you tell a six-year-old, like I told mine, gosh, six months ago, about the mechanics of intercourse, what do you think their response is going to be? If I tell my six-year-old son right now, he'll probably yeah. be like, oh, that's gross, Dad, shut up. And he'll, then he'll go play with his Legos. Okay. So usually doesn't, that doesn't come till later. He might be influenced by having an older sibling, but my six-year-old, I said, penis goes into the vagina. There's a, this thing called ejaculation. These sperm come out. He had seen a picture of a sperm because I was doing a presentation. He was like, those squid things. I'm like, yes. Um, there are sometimes that it produces a baby and sometimes it doesn't because it's really fun. And people do this for fun too. He was in the bathtub when we had this conversation and he looked at me and said, oh, that was it. Oh. I mean, he was kind of like a little bit perplexed, but just very much to him, that was biology. This is a kid who has not been sexually abused. Right. He is not delayed in any way. So again, typically developing kid who does not have sexual baggage and see what happens is Ryan, we put our sex glasses on. I have 43 years of sex glasses. And if I'm not careful, I am going to project all that on him, which is probably going to keep me from being a good sex educator if I'm not careful. And, and, we, and so we have to realize they, it is information to them. Now, when he is nine, yes, the answer is ooh. Mm -hmm. So the experts say get them at O oh, before ooh. 
No, that's good. Okay. That, get him, get him at O before O. Yeah. It behooved you. Yeah. Yes, because you. So um, I think another guest of yours talked about scaffolding just a little bit, but mm -hmm. we we scaffold. So he did not start learning about intercourse. That was not the first thing I taught him. I ta taught him sperm cell and egg cell. That's it. So the day he asked me, his classmate's mother had a baby, and we were talking about it, and I he said how did that baby get in there? And I was like, so smug, like, I'm, you know, sperm cell and egg cell, I am like doing such a great job. And then he said, how does that get in there? <laughs> so he's developmentally, he's saying, yeah. I want more. Right, right. But because we had scaffolded, then it was the step, the next step. Okay, so the next step is intercourse. I also want to say this too, because I think this is a really important message, especially on your podcast. It is so important. I cannot tell you how important it is for us to include joy and pleasure and not just babies. We go straight to babies. Um, the Dutch focus, and they have great programs, they focus on responsibility, joy, and pleasure. We focus on fear, risk, and danger. Yeah, yeah, we pass up. And Pathologicalize. Is that the right word? We patho pathologize. Yeah. We pathologize sex in America for sure. We do. Because, and, and again, it's from this place of like, we want the best for them. We don't want them to get pregnant when they're 14. We don't want them to have multiple sexual partners that are not, you know, that's not a healthy thing. We don't want them to get STDs. But we have thrown the baby out with the bathwater because we haven't said to them this is a good gift from God it feels good it's what bodies were made to do it's how we connect to people we love and that's when your own family context and narrative comes in like whatever you believe and what I tell the people in my group I am not your boss I am not going to sit here and tell you this is what you tell your kids about your ethics you have your own family sexual ethic about whether you're going to teach your kids they shouldn't have sex before they're married or that it's okay to have sex before you're married, but you have to be responsible. I mean, I don't, I don't care what they tell their kids. I want them to think about it and be able to have a sexual ethic that they have processed and talked about with their parenting partner if they have one, because we cannot raise small humans to have a sexual ethic if we don't have one. Right. Or if we're just sort of like, have all of our baggage from our childhood that we haven't really sorted out and processed. Um, so that has actually changed my perspective on the pleasure thing. I mean, I probably kind of went to pregnancy and babies early on in my work and have really shifted out of that um, and shifted out of intercourse a lot too, just to be talking more about relationship dynamics and how do we teach our kids how to be treated, how to, how to demand people treat them with good emotional, how to have good emotional boundaries, um, all those things. So it, it's just sort of taken on a life of its own. And I think it's really important uh, that we empower them in their own embodiment, that they have pleasure and that their bodies are pleasurable. Ah, look at the time. We're gonna have to do another part two on this one, but we'll be back next week with Leanne Gardner where we'll talk about how to create an environment where our children can come to us or another trusted adult when they're in trouble. And this actually 
was mirrored in my own practice. When I had two teenagers over the course of a month come in my office and tell me that their boyfriends had told them they were going to kill themselves if they broke up with them. It's really good stuff. Hey, thanks for listening. Please share this episode with others, friends and families who need to hear these messages. You can also share our podcast publicly on social media. Our handle is touch underscore cast, and you can find all of our content and write us at touchpodcast.com. This has been Touch Podcast. I'm Nate Navarro. This is Ryan Clark. And I am Shannon Etheridge, and we love you for listening.